up, table? How are you guys? Yeah. Hey, uh, so we just kicked off the table for our fall season last week when we kicked off a new series called Nine Items or Less, right? And we have this shopping cart because we know that sometimes we go to the grocery store, there are things that we put in that we know are good for us. Right? And there are things that we put in that we know, like, uh, maybe just one won't hurt. Right? So maybe your guilty pleasure is oven pizza. Hypothetically for you, I know nothing about that life. Right? <laughs> but each week we're going to examine one of the nine things, one of the nine essentials that we want to put into our grocery cart. Right? So Pastor Doug, uh, our young adult pastor, he kicked it off last week where he just kind of set up um, this idea of what is this life of following Jesus? What, it, what are these characteristics um, that we want to put into our cart? So now, starting this week and for the next nine weeks, we're going to look at one characteristic at a time to see what are, what are these things that we should put into our cart, right? So, uh, and last week, Doug said this. This is one, one of his ideas last week, was that these items, right, these fruit is primarily meant to satisfy us, right? We may think that this fruit is for other people. We need our life to try, try really hard to please other people. But the reality is that this fruit that Jesus wants in us, these characteristics are meant to satisfy us. So if you've been hanging out with us for a while, you know a little bit of my story that I grew up like as the church kid, like the church kid, like my dad's a pastor, um, I grew up as a PK. Um, so the church where we were involved in, where my dad was a pastor, uh, it was a small uh, Spanish-speaking um, Hispanic church, right? So not only were we like the pastor family, we were also like the church worship band. Right, so my dad uh, would sing and play guitar. My mom would sing. My sister, excuse me, uh, my sister would play keyboard. Um, I, like at the age of five, I grew up like playing uh, bongos with drumsticks, and eventually I graduated to a full drum set. Uh, so I grew up in a family of musicians. So the first song that we learned was in Spanish. Right, uh, the second song uh, that we learned was uh, this song that I think a lot of us know. Right, it's this song. Jesus loves me, this I know. If you know it, what's the next line? For the Bible tells me so. That's right. So even for a lot of us, we grew up with this idea of knowing that Jesus loves us. We grew up with this. Actually, Jesus himself, um, about this idea of love, um, there in the New Testament, some people asked him, hey, Jesus, what was the Old Testament all about? What was the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your might. He's quoting Deuteronomy, something that they all knew. They all knew that one. But then he kind of did something that they didn't, didn't expect. He pulled something out of Leviticus where he said, oh, yeah, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. So this idea of love, not only is it in the Old Testament, it also continues throughout the New Testament, right? For those of us that grew up in church or for those of us that are familiar with the Christian faith, we know that this idea of love is very, very important, something that gets talked about all the time, right? And actually, um, it's kind of our, our central verse for this entire series, um, let's read it. It's in Galatians, so it'll be there on your screens. It's Galatians 5, 23 and 23, where it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? But do you notice which one is listed first? It's love. 
right? Out of that entire list, love is listed first. There was one author. Are you guys familiar with, with a prism, right? So in a prism, there's a light that shines in that's just like a bright white light that shines in. And once it hits a prism, then it uh, expands into all these beautiful colors and red and blue and green and yellow and purple and all colors of the rainbow. So one author was saying this idea of love is pretty much the, the same idea of a prison. So where uh, you would, the white light would shine in of love, hit this prism, and then as it expands, the rest, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are merely expressions of the same idea of love, just looking at it from different ways with different colors, right? So here's my question that I want to ask. If, if we're familiar with the Christian faith, we know that love is super-duper important, right? We know that we've heard, we grew up, that, you know, maybe we've heard that God is love. We grew up maybe knowing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, right? Even right now, if you were just to turn to a random page in your Bible, right, it's pr- there's like a 90% chance that has the word love on it, right? So if we're very just kind of swimming in this idea of love, why are a lot of us dissatisfied? Right? Why don't we feel satisfied? See, if we know that, okay, to be a Christian means um, I'm familiar with this idea of love. Yes, I know Jesus loves me. Yes, I know that God is love. But man, as, if I were just being really honest right now, I just don't feel really satisfied. Like, I, when I first became a Christian, I felt so loved by God, and now it kind of wavered, and I don't really feel like that anymore. Or maybe, maybe you just grew up in church and you've never felt like that. Or maybe you're here and uh, you're not a believer, you're not following Jesus, and hey, we're so glad you're here. This is a safe place. So you, uh, many times, uh, just don't feel loved. And because of that, we don't feel satisfied. So that's what we're looking at today is why don't we feel satisfied? So the way that we're going to look at it is we're going to look at this guy uh, who at the first part of his life, for a big part of his life, just hated Jesus and hated Christianity and was actively trying to undermine everything of Christianity and actually put people into prison and was okay with Christians dying, right? So this is the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul actually has a lot to say when it comes to love. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bibles or your apps, it'll be on the screen there where we're going to look at what does the Apostle Paul have to say about love and satisfaction. What does Paul have to say about love and satisfaction? We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 3 through 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 3 through 6. And maybe you know, as soon as I said 1 Corinthians 13, you know, oh yeah, that's the great love chapter. You're not wrong. We're going to look at it. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll start in verse 3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let me read it again. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Okay, so there's a lot we're going to look at in just that that one verse alone. So first, uh, I think it may be helpful to define what love is. right, if I were to ask you, I mean, there's a lot of us here in this room, and I bet if I were to ask you, hey, how would you define love? 
I bet a lot of us would come up with different definitions, right? Some of us may define it this way, others this way. Even, even outside of church world, like even in culture, uh, the way that we think through love, there's just a lot of different perspectives. So to be helpful, I'm gonna, we're going to be use this definition of love, which I think is helpful. Um, this definition of love. The definition of love is this. With gladness meeting the needs of people. Love is this. With gladness meeting the needs of people. And this definition is primarily in two parts. One, the first part is with gladness, right? And then the second part is meeting the needs of people. So as you can see with this definition, the first part is a feeling, right? Gladness is a feeling, right? Uh, Another way to think about it may be joy is a feeling. Maybe even satisfaction within that gladness is a feeling. And the second part, meeting the needs of people, is action, right? So there's this feeling and there's this action that's involved. Now, as I say that, uh, again, as we think through, there may be different definitions of love. And as we look to culture, uh, we may think of love as neglecting the action and more just focusing on the feeling, right? So because love is something that you feel, right, deep down. If you've ever been in a relationship where you've experienced those feels, those emotions, that kind of butterfly feeling effect, you understand it. So I think our culture really thinks through love primarily in that way as a feeling. Now, on the other side, if you grew up in church or if you've been following Jesus for a while, maybe you've heard that love has nothing to do with feeling, Love is only action, right? Love is something that you do. Uh, love is this idea of agape love in Greek, which means this sacrificial, this sacrificial love that we want to experience, right? This action. I think both are unhelpful independently. I think both are very helpful together. So love with gladness meeting the needs of people, right? So because let's, let's look at what Paul is saying here. Because he said, if I give away all that I have, that's an action, And I deliver up my body to be burned, that's an action, but have not love, love is both feeling and action, I gain nothing. So what he's saying is, if I'm purely motivated by action alone and have no desire within me, no desire for this feeling of love, I didn't gain anything. And also, it seems like Paul wants to gain something. Right? Paul seems to be for his own satisfaction. He's not just loving for love's sake. He seems to recognize that as he's loving, there seems to be some gain, some reward that he's also getting to experience, right? But even if Paul is sacrificial, right, if, he's, if he, he says, man, I'm like, look, I'm willing to give away everything I have. I'm willing to deliver up my body. I'm willing to die to deliver up my body to be burned. So even if Paul is sacrificial, but he recognizes that if his motivation is not loving both action and feeling— then it seems that there's no gladness for him. He doesn't gain anything, right? Paul seems to be uh, for his satisfaction. Paul seems to want to gain something, and loving God, he recognizes, is expressed by loving others, and that's the way for him to get satisfaction, right? So going back to, remember, the, the first the idea that we talked about with love, where Jesus, as he summarized, hey, look, There's loving God, and there's loving your neighbor or loving others. And what Jesus said was that those aren't independent ideas. Those are actually very tied together. It's basically the same idea, and that we love God by loving others. Right? So here's the big idea. Your satisfaction 
is in loving God. And loving God is in loving others. So your satisfaction is in loving others. Do we have any math nerds in the room? It's called transitive property, yo. Right? So A equals B, and if B equals C, then A equals C. You guys see how that works? Right? So if we're saying, hey, look, obviously, like, yeah, preacher, you're going to say that you're going to get satisfaction from loving God, for sure. Yes, but I'm also saying that you get satisfaction actually from loving others because loving others is the way that we love God. That's how we express our love to God, right? And now, some of you may say, no, I disagree. Like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't love others to get something in return. You shouldn't love others to get some satisfaction. You should just love just to love. You should be sacrificial just to be sacrificial and not get anything back in return, Right? Some of you may say that. But I, would, I think it may be helpful um, to think about it this way. Um, imagine I were to come over and I were to, let's say you owned a home, and I were to come over and mow your lawn. Right? <laughs> like, yes, praise them. <laughs> so let's say I were to do that. Now, let's say I, I finish and I'm, you know, I'm sweaty and I'm like, oh, it's the Florida heat and um, and then uh, you were to say, Isaac, thank you so much for mowing my lawn. And I said, yeah, you better thank me. That was miserable. How would you feel? Really bad, right? Now, imagine if I were to mow your lawn, and then you were to like, oh, Isaac, thank you so much for mowing my lawn. And I were to say, look, it is my joy. It brings me so much joy that you receive joy in this loving action that I did for you. Does that make sense? Like, let's say I were to give you, it's Christmas time, right? And um, I were to give you a gift, right? And um, let's say that you open up the gift and you wrap up the box and it's this gift. And um, then you're like, wow, thank you for the gift. And I say, oh my gosh, it was so expensive. I hated doing that. Like, I'm, I'm glad you like it, but whatever. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I'm honestly, I wish I didn't do that. Right? How would that make you feel? Terrible. Now imagine I save up money and I give you this really nice gift and you appreciate the gift so much and then you like turn and look at me and my heart is so full and there's so much joy and there's so much satisfaction because there's this beautiful gift that you love and I'm loving that you love it and you love it and that I love you loving it. Look, everybody wins. Everybody wins. So that's what I mean by this idea of that we get satisfaction, we get that joy, we get that, um, that gladness in our hearts, right, as we're loving other people because that's how God has loved us, right? So your satisfaction is in loving God, and loving God is in loving others. So your satisfaction is in loving others, right? Um, but also, um, I think for some of us in this room, uh, we may be tempted to think, that satisfaction does not come from loving others, from giving, I think that we may think that satisfaction comes from receiving. And satisfaction comes from receiving from another human being. Right? So then we just wait till we look at another human being and we orient our entire life to get satisfaction, to get love from another human being. And then we start changing our behavior and then we start doing things that we don't necessarily want to do. Why? Because we're trying to get the satisfaction, this love, 
from another human being, right? But we need to orient ourselves to remember that we will be miserable. We will never be satisfied if we're orchestrating our lives trying to get love from another human being. Other human beings may love us, which is fine. That's a good thing when other human beings love us. But that's not where our satisfaction comes from. Our satisfaction comes from God, and it's expressed as we're loving other people. And as we're loving, we know that the source of love comes from God in us, and we're so satisfied, but we know that if we don't love others, then we're not going to be satisfied. So we take that love from God, and we go out, and we love other people, and we know that that's really where we get satisfied, um, is that there's this cycle of love, this completion of love. If love stops with us, we're going to be miserable, but we need to let the love of God flow through us to love other people that's where we experience true love from God as this love is flowing in us and through us. Um, the, the John, um, he says in his book, in the first John, he calls it like a, uh, a cycle, right? He calls it your love um, is perfected as you're loving your brother. The word perfect means complete, right? Like in baseball, if you throw a perfect game, um, that means you pitch the entire game, right? So or in bowling too, that means you did really well. You get bowled at 300. <laughs> so it, as you're... Um, Love, the perfect love, is, means completed. So we can't let love stop with us. We will be the most satisfied as we're completing the circuit of love, allowing God's love to flow in us and through us to love other people. And once again, the definition of love that, that I keep referencing is with gladness, it fills us with joy as we're loving other people, not because they deserve it, but just because they're human beings that have value. And we want to love the same way that God has loved us, right? So let's, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 4. Because then uh, Paul unpacks a lot. What is this love? He, he, he kind of flushes it out a little more. He says this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Right? And that's where we know that this idea of rejoicing, this idea of rejoicing in the truth, right? that's where we get that feeling. Right? Rejoicing is joy. You don't rejoice when you're miserable. Right? You re rejoice whenever God fills your heart with gladness. Right? So we get to rejoice and express it that way. But I, for the next few moments, I want to look at five ways that we are not loving, probably. Right? I'm not making an assumption. I'm just saying I want to look at five ways that Paul looks at to say, hey, here are five ways that we are not loving, probably. So first, we're going to start off with this, with envy, boasting, and pride. These are things that get in the way of us being lovey. Envy, boasting, and pride, right? Some people call it the toxic trio. Uh, envy, boasting, and pride. And a lot of times, it's expressed in sarcasm, right? It's expressed in criticism. It's expressed in public disrespect, Right? Imagine you're sitting in, a, sitting in a circle, and there's just somebody there, and you just like completely undermine them, talk bad about them in front of them to other people, say that they're incapable of doing a job, completely disrespect them in front of a group of people. Paul says, look, that is anti-love. Right? That's something that's getting in the way from being loving. Right? And envy is the same thing for those of us that just struggle with celebrating somebody else's successes. Right? Let's say your coworker gets that promotion and you don't. It's hard, right? But then we feel this envy building up, and Paul says, that's not love, 
That's not with gladness meeting the needs of others. That's the opposite of that. Or um, how about this? It's summer. We just got through summer. You know what summer is? Wedding season, right? Oh my gosh, have y'all been on Facebook recently or Instagram recently? It's like you scroll late at night, head on the pillow, and you're miserable just as you're scrolling because of all your, all of your friends, either so-and-so is in a relationship with so-and-so, um, so-and-so just got engaged, so-and-so just got married, right? And then you were actually at their wedding, and it was beautiful, right? And the dancing was fun, and then you see the beautiful wedding photos after, and your heart just fills with envy because like, ah, I want that. Oh, when is it going to be my turn? When am I going to get that? Yeah, they're beautiful photos. Yeah, I love them. They're great. They're amazing people. But oh, when is it going to be my turn? Right? That's envy. That's envy building up between us. Right? So I would just pay attention to the success of those that are closest to us. Right? Is our initial response, is it to celebrate? Or is it to just get really angry um, in our hearts and kind of resent whenever we see those things? Right? And at the root of that is pride. Because pride is whenever we think too highly of ourselves that we deserve everything or that we think too low of ourselves and we don't deserve anything. So pride is going to fuel both envy and boasting. All right, number two, something else that gets in the way. What Paul says, uh, being dishonoring or uh, maybe your, your translation says rude. Um, depending on your Bible translation, uh, it says dishonoring or rude. So this word honor, it's not a word that we use a lot, um, but it means to just be like in awe of somebody like to be reverent in somebody. Like imagine somebody that you really, really respect, right? Somebody that you really respect just like walks in the room and you're like, oh, oh, wow, right? That's cool, right? So that's this idea of honor, right? But a lot of times we don't honor because what honoring is is deferring. Honoring is allowing, right? Honoring is almost like holding the door open for, honor is holding the door open for, open, Holding, why am I struggling with this sentence? Y'all know what I'm saying. Hold, I'm going to say it slowly. Holding the door open for somebody and allowing them to get through. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Right? But a lot of times it's not holding the door opening. It's pushing them and trying to get through yourself where you just push and push and push and push and you don't respect boundaries and you push and push and you're not going to stop until you get what you want and they've said no but you don't respect their no. That's not honoring. Right? A lot of times we do see, we see this in relationships, right? Like boyfriend and girlfriend relationships or friendships. We see this where boundaries get crossed because somebody just keeps pursuing and pursuing and being so persistent, not in a good way, and doesn't respect no, doesn't respect boundaries. That's not honoring. That's the opposite. That's being rude. <sighs> Number three, self-seeking. All right, self-seeking. So this is basically don't be selfish, don't be selfish, right? So I was, um, some, some years ago, I was with a family, and we were driving around, and we were looking at, um, looking at Christmas lights. It was Christmas season. And um, so mom and daughter start yelling at each other over which radio station we're going to listen to as we drive through and go look at Christmas lights. I was like, does, it, does, this doesn't matter. Like, we'll sing a song out loud. Like, it doesn't, we'll carol in the car. Like, this literally doesn't matter. And they are going at it. Why? Because in that family, there was this culture of selfishness. Nobody was willing to defer. Everyone had to fight for what they wanted because they weren't willing to serve each other. They had to grab for, to get any sort of preference that they wanted. They just had to grab and grab and grab and grab and were completely self, selfish I'm in that. Right? So Paul says, love is not self seeking. Number four, 
Paul says love is not easily angered, or uh, maybe your translation says provoked, maybe it says irritable. Um, so this is, you know, you know who you are. Uh, you know, if you, uh, if you get your buttons pushed a little easily, right? If you, have a, if you have a short fuse, right? So this idea is like basically a cooking term of being stirred. You're just stirred up, right? And maybe you may say things like, man, like she knows how to push my buttons, right? She just knows the exact thing to say just to get under my skin. Um, he, like he knows how to really set me off. He knows that I don't like that thing, but he keeps doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. Right? Like, man, she, she just got me so wound up. I just had to leave until I calmed down. This is the idea of just being easily angered, being provoked, being irritable. Man, but this is a hard one. I know. This is a hard one for a lot of us. Right? Because, but here's what love does. Love doesn't get stirred up. Right? Love doesn't get wound up. Love doesn't get set off. Love doesn't get kicked off. Love can sit and listen and absorb, and love can keep things in perspective. Why? Because another person doesn't satisfy us. Remember, we don't get our satisfaction from another person. We get our satisfaction from God, from Jesus. Right? So as people are intentionally, intentionally trying to get under our skin, as people are intentionally trying to provoke us, as people are intentionally just trying to set us off, they, they find joy. They, uh, they, they laugh. I won't, even, I won't say joy. They laugh whenever they see us get really angry, when they see our short get really fused, and that makes them happy. Right? And they just intentionally go for that. Man, the hardest thing to do, the most loving thing to do, is remember the words of Paul and not be easily provoked, not be easily angered, not be easily irritated. And number five, this is for some of us in this room, he's record keepers, right? Um, one, one, Bible one Bible translation says it, says it this way. Um, does not take into account a wrong suffered, right? So some people, they just like, they make a list, right? And you know these people. Right? They're like Santa Claus. They make a list, they check it twice, and guess what? You're naughty every time. <laughs> but they keep that record, right? They're record keepers, you know, you know this. You know who the record keepers are. Record keepers are really good at using the words um, always and never. Right? Man, you always do this. You always do this. You always do this. Look, you never do this. Is that true? Do we always do that? No, it's not even true. But that's how people perceive it, record keepers. They perceive somebody to be always doing this. And then everything you do is just confirmation bias. It just adds another ticker to the list, right? right so you may be there and you may be um, thinking of a, um, maybe one time that you left the dishes out, right? And in your head, look, I just did it one time. And they're like, uh-uh, you did it 47 times. Now it's 48. Those are record keepers, right? Those are record keepers. So that's what Paul says. Hey, look, love keeps no record of wrong. Love doesn't do that, right? So, like, and the problem for record keepers, it's not, it's not the accuracy of their memory. It's not the accuracy of their memory, because here's what. They're right most of the time. Why? Because they're really good at tallying. They're really good at keeping records. They're natural historians, right? So to, to tell you all the wrongs in your life can, like, tell you the slideshow of, like, well, last Tuesday, Right? So that's what record keepers do, but it doesn't do anything to improve the relationship. It doesn't foster love. It doesn't forgive and just let things go, right? In Proverbs, it says just to let um, little annoyances, just to let it go by. It is to one's honor um, to, to let something that's just little pass by, but that's something that record keepers struggle with. So, so then we get to, to the next verse, or to close it out, um, that we read where it says um, in verse 6, but if love, if love does not do those things, what does love do? It does this. 
It, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. Because look, if you're doing anything of that list above, if you are, um, if you're envy or boasting or prideful, if you're dishonoring or rude, if you are self-seeking, if you're uh, easily angered and provoked, if you're keeping records, look, you're rejoicing, you're delighting in wrongdoing. You're finding delight and joy in that. But Paul says, look, you have to rejoice in the truth, right? We need to love people by rejoicing in truth, uh, which is with gladness meeting the needs of people. So now, do you remember our initial question? Why is it, when we think through love, that a lot of times we're not satisfied? And my answer is, is it possible that the reason that some of us are not satisfied is because we're rejoicing in wrongdoing? We're taking delight in keeping records of wrong. We're taking delight in being easily provoked. We're taking delight in being self-seeking, right? We're taking delight in being rude and dishonoring, right? For, for guys, man, maybe for some of us, like, oh, yeah, I like, uh, you know, like with girls, I can get any girl that I want, and I can do this, and I can do that. What is that? That's rejoicing in wrongdoing. That's rejoicing in being dishonoring. That's what Paul says. Look, you don't have to do that. Look, rejoice in the truth. You will find so much satisfaction if you rejoice in truth. So love loves the truth. Love does not love evil, right? Love doesn't try to get away with bad behavior, right? So for a lot of us that rejoice in wrongdoing, Right? So the reason that we're not satisfied is because we see the line of wrongdoing, and then we try to get as close to the line as possible, and then wondering why we're dissatisfied. It's because as we toe the line and occasionally step across the line, but still like we think that the line is what's going to bring us satisfaction, man, we're just dissatisfied because we're not rejoicing in truth. We're rejoicing in how much and seeing how much we can get away with. And saying, hey, this is what, I think this thing will bring me satisfaction. I don't really trust God right now. I don't really know if God loves me. I think I need to try to find my own satisfaction. I want to try to find my own satisfaction from love with another person. So we just get close to that line and we see how much we can get away with. But look, if we want to be satisfied, we need to rejoice in truth. Right? Not in wrongdoing, but in truth. Right? So what about, what about that evil person that hates you? What about them? You know them, maybe you live with them, maybe you work with them, maybe you're related to them, don't elbow anybody, maybe you're sitting next to them right now. Right? What about that person that reviles against you, that does evil against you, that person that does rejoice in wrongdoing? What about that person? What does Jesus say? What does Paul say? Yep, you love them too. Even the person that hates you, even the person that conspires and strategizes, and it's like, uh, it's like the scene from Mean Girls where like, she's strategizing like, how to get back to her, right? Even the person that does that is strategizing how to bring your demise, even that person, with gladness, you serve them. With gladness, you help them, right? With gladness, you meet the needs of people. Why? How is it possible why, in the first place, and how is it even possible that we can love people that hate us, that we can love our enemy? That's exactly what Jesus does. Right? Let's not forget that we are aliens outside of Christ. 
that we, we, we hate Jesus outside of the work that he did in our life, that in our own flesh, in our own being, we are incapable of rejoicing in truth, right? I talk about this, this feeling, uh, right, that love is both feeling and action. Look, it is impossible to produce that feeling of joy and delight in your heart when it comes to love. You are completely incapable. So it's possible that the reason that some of us don't feel this feeling at all is because we've never asked God to help us produce this feeling of delight and feeling of joy and feeling of gladness when it comes to serving people. When we think of serving people, it sounds miserable, right? But God wants to come in and through the power of his spirit, he gives us resurrected power to be able to produce this feeling of joy and gladness as we go out and as we love and serve people and help people. Right? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Right? Jesus didn't just say, he, it wasn't, these weren't just words to Jesus. He did not just say, hey, love your enemy. We see time and time again in the New Testament of Jesus actually loving people. Right? Going out of his way and healing people. Right? And it's not like he healed, um, he healed the blind man and then said, oh yeah, and by the way, um, you know, you have to like make, you're going to use your eyes to, to lust after people, so I'm not going to heal your eyes. He didn't do that. He just healed them. Right? Or the, the woman at the well. Right? He didn't come in and condemn her. Like, look, you've been with a lot of husbands. No, no, no. He came in. He loved her. He served her. He had a conversation with her. Right? We see time and time again of example after example of the life that Jesus lived where with gladness, with gladness, he was serving people and loving people and helping people. He was meeting the needs of people without expecting anything in return. It is impossible to do that outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? And this is where Christian love Christ-like love, Holy Spirit-enabled love is different from anything that culture is going to say what love is. Why? Because it is impossible to love people that won't give you anything in return outside of the Spirit working in your life. We can't do it. We are incapable of doing it. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're even possible to love people sacrificially in a way that gives us joy. So it's not, it is sacrificially in one sense, but in another sense, it's actually incredibly rewarding. And we gain a lot whenever we do that. And that's what Paul was saying earlier in the chapter, right? So Jesus, he showed love for people that didn't deserve it. He showed love for the forgotten ones. See, because with gladness, he was meeting the needs of people. And then in the greatest act of love that ever happened in the history of the world, this is this in Romans, that, Romans 5, 8, that's, that says, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I want us to think of you at your worst. You, when you're doing that thing that brings you so much shame, that thing you don't want to tell anybody about, that thing you, you really want to forget, but it just keeps coming back, that thing. Jesus saw it. He knew it was going to happen, and he died anyway for you. Why? Because he loves you. Because with gladness and with joy, right, he wants to serve those. He wants to help people that can't help themselves. He wanted to bring reconciliation to the world for people that were completely incapable for us, for those of us, for me, that's completely incapable of reconciling myself to God. But because of the love of Jesus, because of his sacrificial death on the cross, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, his resurrection that gives me new life. That's why that was the most wonderful, the most powerful the, the most, the best example of love is Jesus laying down his life, and he calls us friends. 
he no longer calls us enemies. He calls us friends when he did that. So how do we respond, right? So we talked about we don't want to rejoice in wrongdoing, but we do want to rejoice in truth. How do we respond? How do we respond? How do we rejoice in truth, right? These two words, and we'll unpack them. Relationships and resources. Relationships and resources. That's how we rejoice in truth. That's how um, with that's how with gladness we can meet the needs of people is with in relationships and our resources in our in our relationships and our resources. Right. So I'll, I'll talk about them independently. So relationships. Right now, as you're sitting there, um, I want you to think of people that you live with. Where do you live? What relationships do you have there? What roommates do you have? What neighbors do you have? Um, what uh, the, the person that leased your apartment that you still see all the time? Like, where, what relationship do you have with them? What, what random people do you just see walking? What relationships do you have there where you live? Now, what relationships do you have where you work? Your, your coworker, right? The person that maybe sit next to you, the, people, the person that you serve with, the person that you seem to keep having the same shift with, right? Your boss, Maybe you are a boss, so your employees, right? What relationships do you have at work? But what about, what about play? What relationships do you have where you play? Where, where you spend your time, your hobbies? What relationships do you have when you play? Those are the type of relationships that we want to rejoice in truth, right? We want to celebrate people. We want to, with gladness, with our hearts being full, be able to serve people and help meet the needs of people, right? And then our resources, um, some of our resources, there, there's numerous. Uh, there's time, right? Some of us, we have an ample amount of time. Some of us, time is not necessarily a resource, right? But we still, we still have it, and we don't have a lot of extra time, but we all have 168 hours in a week. So how are we going to spend our time? That's a resource that we have, right? For some of us, it's money, right? And for some of us, we may feel really, stre- really thin with money, like we don't have a lot. Probably most of us, we're young adults, hey, right? Some of us, uh, we have an, a lot of money, how are we going to spend our money, right? What about our passions? Some of us are really, really passionate about things. That's a resource that God has given us. Some of us are incredibly skilled at things, right, that we've just, with our experience and with just our natural intuitive gifting, we just seem to be naturally good at things. How are we going to spend those resources, right? So I want us to think through how can we rejoice in truth using our relationships and our resources. So imagine the scenario, you're at, you're at your apartment or your home, and um, you see you're there, and dishes are piling up, and they're not yours. And your roommate comes in, right? And he or she is just exhausted, beat. Like, it's been, like, a terrible day at work. Like, there's, like, family stuff going on. There's relationship stuff going on. They're absolutely exhausted, right? And then they just plop down on the couch, after you've already talked to them now for five days straight that those are their dishes and it's just piling up and you can't actually even put, like, it's to the point where you can't um, unload the dishwasher, right? You can't put dishes in the dishwasher because they still need to be run, but it, because it, they're clean, though, so you can't, like, take the clean dishes. You guys get this? It's just, like, the clean dishes need to be taken out, but if nobody does it, then the dishes pile up in the sink. That's how that works. So imagine that's happening, and your roommate's exhausted, just plops on the couch. And then you're trying to be loving, so you try it with gladness, with a full heart. It's hard, 
It's hard, but with gladness, you pray for the Holy Spirit to give you gladness, to, to fuel your affections, to be able to love, to serve. And you talk to he or she, and you're like, hey, look, I know you're exhausted. Um, the dishes are piling up in the sink. Hey, how about this? How about I do the dishes for you? Would that be helpful? Now, let's say they cuss you out. Because they're like, how dare you? Look, look, I'm going to do them. Why are, you, why are you getting mad at me? Why are you getting on to me? I was going to do them. I'm doing them. Just give me, can I just like lay here just for a second? Oh my gosh, why are you like that? Ugh. And you do the dishes anyway. That's love. With gladness, remember, it's not humans that give us uh, satisfaction. It's not humans that give us affection. It's not humans. Yes, it's nice when humans give us love, but look, we know that our love comes from God, and we serve people not because we're getting anything in return, and that's how we love people that we're annoyed by. We love our enemies. We love things that we're reviled by because we want to love like Jesus loves, and as we love in kindness, here's what's going to happen. Some people will respond positively, and some people will respond negatively. Why? Because truth, rejoicing in truth, sounds like hate to those that hate truth. Truth sounds like hate to those that hate truth. I completely borrowed that. If you're like, oh, wow, that was really good. It's not original. <laughs> truth sounds like hate to those that hate truth. So as you're rejoicing in truth, as you're loving people with gladness and with a full heart, some people are still going to hate you anyway. And does that mean we stop loving them? No. With a full heart, with gladness of heart, we go out and we serve those, we love those, we help people, right? So maybe it's where you, uh, maybe your coworker, right? Maybe there's an example of your coworker just being so difficult and they've been difficult for six months. Man, how can you rejoice in truth and loving them? Maybe it's where you play, like maybe you're, you work out a lot, you're at the gym, and it's that person that um, it just seems like they know that you're waiting for the rack, and they just take their sweet time. And it is annoying if you're somebody that works out, right? Because, like, yeah, we want to try to be in there an hour, right? Try to get in, get out, get your workout in, go off, right? And nope, they're just there, and they see you. They just go slowly, and they take their break, and then you ask them, like, like hey, you still, like, yeah, I'm still on, I'm still on, right? You love them anyway, right? Because we're not easily provoked. Because people that are loving, like Jesus, are not easily provoked. All right, so I'll close that with a story. So, um, it's probably about maybe about a year ago. Um, I was um, I, I was doing my reading my quiet time, and I was reading in, in Matthew and uh, Matthew chapter six. Where in the morning I, I read this, where he um, where it says um, uh, basically, whenever uh, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Um, thus, when you give to the needy, like don't make a big deal about it. Basically, hey, look, if you're going to give to people, don't brag. Don't make a big deal about it. Like, don't, it, like, it's cool. And look, you're not giving just to get anything in return. You're giving just to give, because that's loving, right? And you should get, uh, you should rejoice in that and get satisfaction in that. And, and it closes, or Matthew, where he says this, and your father, who sees in secret, will reward you, right? Now, this is the don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing passage. So I'm reading this about a year ago, and I'm like, okay, um, all right, God, like, how might you use this? How is, how is this going to change me? Like, I read it, try to meditate on it. But then I was like, okay, we'll just see. So then I'm, I'm driving on my, my way to work, and I stop at a Wawa because I needed gas. So I stop at the Wawa, and um, I start putting gas in, and um, I, I, was, I was on the phone with my dad because we hadn't caught up in a little while, so we're, we're catching up on the phone, and somebody comes up to me. 
And there was this guy, and he was selling a mixtape for $20, right? So, so I, I mean, I've, that, that is not at all close to near the first time that somebody has approached me um, in that setting or while I'm at the gas station. So initially, I just kind of blow him off because I'm like, um, I'm on the phone. Like, I can't just, I'll, I'll deal with you later. I'm on the phone right now. So, um, so then he, he's like, okay, cool. So he, he wasn't mean. He just walked off. So then I finish, and then I'm like, Dad, I think I need to let you go, because what had I just read? <laughs> right? And I say, so, so then, um, so I go, and um, I, I felt so convicted. And I'm, this is like, I, and I'm not saying this to like pat myself on the back. I I'm telling you, I never do this. I'm, I'm very familiar with the like, when helping hurts concept, and I don't want to make assumptions, but I also know that just like giving out money a lot is not always the most helpful thing. I'm aware of all this. If you want to have that conversation, we can have it later. I'm very aware. In that moment, though, I felt God was telling me, Isaac, this is not about him right now. This is about you. Because I'm not trying to, I can, look, I can take care of him. He's my child. I can take care of him. I want to see where your heart is. What did you just read? Like, oh. Okay, God. So I go to the car, and I see him. He was sitting in the car there at the pump. So I knock on the door. Window rolls down. He's in the driver's seat. And I said, hey, man, actually, yes, can I get your mixtape? He's like, oh, yeah, for sure, $20. So I uh, give him $20, he gives me his mixtape, right? Now, there was also somebody sitting in the passenger seat. And he says, oh yeah, I have a mixtape too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, God, you're working on me, cool. Um, all right, yeah, man, here's $20. Then the back window rolls down. <laughs> <laughs> There's another guy that says, hey, man, how about my mixtape? And I'm like, Ugh. okay, God, here's $20. So then I was like, so then they're like, hey, and our friend, like, okay, no, I'm good, I'm good. Like, <laughs> like y'all, like, hey, I like to give to people that I, that I have a relationship with that I can see, so good luck to your friend. I'm not giving him $20 too for his mixtape, right? So I think, uh, you know, we can make assumptions, yes or no. Here's the idea. Whenever God tells us to love, we love, right? Regardless of any assumptions that we may make, Regardless, they didn't do anything to, to give me anything. There was no reward. I didn't even listen to the mixtape, right? There was no reward. There was no, like, here's what they can do for me. When God tells us to, when God tells us to love, we love, right? Because with gladness, with a full heart, we want to love people, all right? So imagine, imagine your life. So if you want a, uh, a loving world, right, if we want to be a world where that's just full of love, people have just sacrificially, just with full hearts, right? So they're actually receiving something from it too, but with full hearts are just giving and loving and serving people the way that Jesus loves us. If you want to see a world like that, the way to create change is drawing a circle around yourself and then changing everything inside of the circle. If you want to see a world filled with love the way that Jesus loves, not the way that necessarily culture tells us to love, but man, what would it look like if you drew a circle around yourself and you loved and you changed everything, everything inside of that circle and you just loved the way that Jesus loved, full of joy, full of delight, full of gladness to serve people, to love people. Now, if you were loving in that way, now, what would your home look like? What would your work look like? What would your family look like? Now, imagine if all of us, all of us here, were loving in that way, how could Orlando be reached? 
How could Orlando be loved? How could Orlando see the love of Jesus knowing that we're not doing anything to get anything in return, but we're just loving people and we're loving the people of Orlando the way that Jesus loves them and that we know that as we're loving others, that's where we're going to get joy and satisfaction.